All right. Well, welcome to Chase Oaks, wherever you are. Some of you at one of our physical locations, most of you online right now, wherever you are. Some of you podcasting later. However, you are with us. We're just really, really glad that you are with us. And we will finish in a series this week, but I just want to preview next week just a little bit. So we're starting a new series on the New Testament book of Titus. It's called Titus. And it's uh, the name of the series is on target because Paul is writing to this church where certain things were not on target and that they needed to get right. And you and I don't have to get everything right. There's a lot of things that can go wrong that don't really even matter that much. But there are some things that we really want to be on target with. And that's what the book is about. And so we're going to have a lot of fun with it, but also be really impacted by what uh, what God is going to teach through his word. And so that's next week. But this week, we're finishing our series called Uniquely You uh, that we've been in, which is about the, the God's purpose for you and me, not just his general purpose, but his specific purpose for you and me. And if you've been in this series, if you haven't, you can go back and watch or listen to the other ones. But the first week we talked about how a life of purpose is not built around self, but something way bigger than ourselves. It's actually about denying ourselves to sign up for something bigger. The second week we talked about how to become the kind of the person that God has purposed us to become. Um, then we started over the last three weeks talking about our calling and our unique contribution and how God has shaped us for a particular way to serve in this world. And so the first week of that, we talked about our gifting. Last week, Ryan did an incredible job talking about our experiences, good, bad and ugly and how they shape us. And, and that all of those experiences can lead to ministry. And this week we're talking about placement. So, so far we've talked about the what of our calling, but today we're going to talk about the where of our calling. Like, like where does God want us? And I think for a lot of us, you know, it's like, man, we, we want to be the kind of people who are willing to go anywhere and do anything for God, no matter how crazy it is. You know, sometimes think, man, I, God, I'll go anywhere. I don't want to go here and here, but I'll, I'll do it if I have to. And that's what and when we hear the Bible, like the first week of this series, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. If you were here for that, is the invitation of Jesus for people to follow him, then you kind of assume that, well, that means I'm going to leave where I am. And I'm going to go somewhere else if I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm I want to go anywhere. I want to do anything. And and there was a time where I was much more prone to just say, God, wherever, whatever you want me to do, I'll I'll do. Like when I was in uh, the ninth grade, I was involved. I was so I, was, I don't know, what, 14 when you're in ninth grade. And I was involved in this ministry at the time that uh, where we did a bunch of things, but but one evening every week, we did these uh, like a little Bible study for kids in a particular neighborhood. And so this was at night. It was dark. And the, the leader of that organization, who's only like 21, and I were taking kids home. And after we'd taken them home, we were walking back and a train uh, was coming by. Not, you know, I don't know how far, some hundreds of yards away, but we heard it coming. And so Todd, this other guy, was like, hey. Wouldn't it be cool if we just hopped on that train and just wherever it went, got off and just told people about Jesus and then get back on and do it all over again, wherever it takes us. I was like, okay. So I start running for the train 
and I'm running as fast as I can to try to. I've never hopped a train before, but, you know, I've seen it on TV. So I was going to hop the train, you know, so I'm running. And Todd behind me is yelling. He's way behind me, but he's yelling. And I assume he's yelling, go, man, you're slow. Go faster, go faster. He was yelling, what are you doing, dummy? Your mom's going to kill me. Stop it, you know, but I'm running, running to the train. And fortunately, there was a fence there. I couldn't get over the fence in time to get to the train. Todd caught up and he's like, dude, what are you doing? We're, I'm just talking like we're not going to jump on a train. You know, that's terrible. That's a terrible idea. But at the time, it made sense because of the ninth grader. You know, I was willing to go anywhere, do anything. And when you hear Jesus, you know, like we said, you know, the invitation in that first week of this series Luke 9 was, if anybody wants to follow me, Jesus is talking to the whole crowd. He said, deny yourself, take up your cross, your redemptive way of serving God's purposes. Take up your cross and follow me. Then you assume, right, it's going to be somewhere out there. God's going to call me to do something big if I'm going to if I'm going to serve him. But today, as we talk about being willing to serve anywhere, we might be surprised with the answer because for most of us, well, here, here's, the, here's the big point of today. If you want to serve wherever God leads, we should always be willing to go anywhere. But if you want to serve wherever God leads, start right where he's already placed you. Because as we're going to see today, where he's already placed you is not random. It's actually purposeful. And God has a purpose for where he has already placed you. Now, he may lead you somewhere else and somewhere. But that's one of the confusing parts of the New Testament. Because when you read the New Testament, the New Testament is really the story of how the gospel, the good news of Jesus, starts in Jerusalem and goes to the ends of the earth. And it's and therefore it's built around the stories are built around the apostles and the word apostle simply means sent one. It's like the word missionary that we talk about. And so 2000 years ago, there were certain Apostles, right? The 12 disciples and some others who were missionaries who went and started churches all over the world, right? And so you can think that that's what we're supposed to, the people who are on the A team, people who are really serving God's purposes or people like that who are off doing crazy things and going all over the world and doing this stuff. And that's what we should do if we really were serious about serving God. That's, but that's a mistake. Because even in the New Testament era, there were only very, very few apostles. Only very, very few missionaries compared to everybody else. And even the crowd, when Jesus looks at the crowd, and he says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Yeah, the 12 disciples, like the fishermen, they left their nets, the Bible says, to follow Jesus. They left behind their world to you know, go into this whole new thing. They'd done that. But he's talking to thousands of people. And for, those, and for those people to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me, you know where most of them would have gone? Right back to where they started, right back to where God had already placed them. And what I want us to understand today is, yeah, God can lead us anywhere, but we should start with where God's already placed us, because where God has placed us is not random. It's purposeful. And that wherever you are, whatever social circle you're in, whatever is 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 an assignment. Is the word the Bible is going to use. And so as you think about your school, you think about your place of work, you think about your neighborhood, your family, your team, your golf club, wherever God has placed you, he's placed you there on purpose. And and you can you can flub your purpose or you can seize it. And I don't want us to flub it. I want us to seize it and live God's purpose 
right where he's placed us, always being willing to go wherever God wants, but not at the expense of serving God now, not waiting for the somewhere out there. And so to talk about that, we're going to be in a a passage in the New Testament that where Paul makes that argument really, really clearly in the book of first Corinthians. Now, Paul had started this church in, in, a, in this Greek city called Corinth. And, uh, and so he knew them. These were his friends. And he started the church, but he was an apostle, right? So he was starting churches all over the world. He was going off doing his thing. So he leaves Corinth. He's been gone for a while. And he gets a, a letter from the church with some questions. And so he responds with 1 Corinthians to answer some of those questions. And what we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 7 is a lot of those questions were from people who felt like, hey, where I'm at right now, I really can't serve God anywhere, do anything. And I just feel like I need to get out of my situation so I can be free to serve God fully. And what Paul is going to say is, hey, you're already there. And so he looks at these different categories of people. So the first one are people who are married. And feel stuck. Now, not just married, period. Um, I mean, married, they were people who were new to Jesus, but their spouse was not a Jesus follower. And so they felt like, well, how am I going to go anywhere, do anything, follow God fully? If I'm married to somebody who's not a Jesus follower, then, you know, if I'm really going to follow Jesus and serve him 100 percent, then I need to I need to get out of the marriage. I need to divorce my spouse. It's the only thing that makes sense. And so is that OK? And so Paul is going to answer that as the first group. He's going to say, no, that's not OK. Uh, divorce is not the answer in general anyway, but certainly not this time. Uh, not for this. Uh, stay where you are for a number of reasons. But one the one reason is, he says, how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Meaning God has you there in that household. They lived in these big extended households to be a light to that household. And if you leave, then you're just going to leave that household in the dark. And how do you know that God won't use you to help people in your household, including your spouse, come to know Jesus? You can't leave. God has you there for a purpose. And then he gives this principle. And this is a general principle. And as you think of the different environments that God has you in, here's what Paul would say. Verse 17, he said, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. So this is the general rule that wherever you and I are placed or wherever you and I are, think about your school, your your family, your neighborhood, your work environment, wherever it is. The words he uses are not, he doesn't say you're just randomly there, so don't worry about it. He uses the word assignment and calling. That God has actually assigned you to be where you are. He's called you to be where you are. And Paul says, therefore, live as a believer in that place that God has called you. So fulfill God's purposes as a believer. You're not there randomly. You're there purposefully. Fulfill your purpose there. Now, we're going to talk about what does that mean to fulfill your purpose there. But first, he goes on to another group. Now, this group is kind of a strange wording. OK, we'll 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 get there. Verse 18. Next verse. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Now, don't get hung up on that one. 
because you really can't become uncircumcised. Like physically, that's not what's going on. You know, it's like those vasectomy uh, billboards, reversal, you know, kind of thing. Um, I don't know if you've seen those. A, a friend of mine was uh, talking a couple months ago and, and he had had a vasectomy and then his wife wanted him to have a reversal and then do it again. And he's like, hey, look, before I pull any of those triggers, let's really make sure <laughs> what we want to do here, because I don't want to just keep going. This is not like just go back and forth kind of thing. Right. Well, you know, when you circumcision, uncircumcision, it's not a physical it's not a physical operation or something he's trying to do. OK, we'll we'll get there. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Again, it's not talking about a physical thing. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. So when he talks about circumcision and uncircumcision, he's talking about two social networks. And the first that, that people came to know Jesus out of. And the first one is the circumcision group, which is just it was, a, it was their way 2000 years ago to talk about Jewish people. And so in Corinth, in the church there, a number of the people, because Christianity had come out of Judaism, a number of those people would have been former like coming. They would be Jewish people coming out of the Jewish religion into Christianity. So that's the circumcision group. And then most of the people in the church in a place like Corinth were the uncircumcision group, which is which is another way to say non-Jewish people, Gentiles. And who came to Christ and both of them were coming out of unique environments. So the Jewish Christians came out 2000 years ago, and I'm not talking about Judaism now and not critiquing Judaism now, but 2000 years ago, it was a very legalistic rules oriented. You know, here's all the laws you got to keep. So it's a very legalistic environment where people tended to look down their nose at those who didn't worry about all those laws. And so they looked down their nose at Gentiles who didn't do all these things to keep yourself pure. And they thought, you know, Gentiles, non-Jewish people kind of had spiritual cooties and you didn't want to you didn't want to spend time with them because they would rub off on you and you'd be you become unpure and all that. So so for them, when they came into Christianity, it was like, man, I don't want to be around legalistic people anymore. I, I just don't want to be around judgmental people anymore. I, I'm going to leave that. To follow Jesus and live a life of grace, not legalism. And so it made sense to them to say, man, I, I'm just going to have to leave that that network of friends behind because they're a bunch of legalists. Or on the other side, people who came out in, in, to Jesus in Corinth and in the New Testament church and who were Gentiles, who were Romans in the Roman world, their world wasn't legalistic. Their world was licentious, like really licentious. I mean, we think our culture's loose morally. It's nothing like Rome 2,000 years ago loose morally in terms of substances, in terms of sexuality. I mean, back then you would go to the temple to worship the Roman gods and there were temple prostitutes who were there to help you worship. That was going to church. You know, I mean, we, some people get upset when they come to Chase Oaks and we sing secular songs. But like that's like this, you know, that's that's way, you know, way over there. And so they would go and do all, you know, so it's very loose sexually, right? So for them, it's like, I've got to leave this. I've got to leave licentiousness in these people behind if I'm going to follow Jesus and be pure. And you can understand that, right? Why they would think that way. But Paul is saying, don't leave those people behind. Yeah, leave the legalism behind. Leave the licentiousness behind. Live as a believer, not as an unbeliever, where God has placed you. But don't leave the people. 
And yeah, the Bible talks about when we come out in environments, when we come to know Jesus and we have non-believing friends to develop some friendships and a core group of people around us who can help us follow Jesus and all that. But it doesn't mean we leave our friends behind who don't know Jesus. Because God has placed us in those social networks on purpose to be a light. Which means to help them come to know Christ. And if we just leave them, then we, you know, then how are they going to come to know Christ? Just like he says to the married uh, to the to the wife or the husband, you know, man, don't leave because how are they going to be saved? Meaning, how are they going to come to know Jesus if you leave? So he's talking about social networks. Now, even today, it's easy for that to happen. You know, this, there was a study that was done. It's like 20 years ago. But they found that the average person 20 years ago who came to know Jesus in about two years, they no longer had any non-Christian friends. I mean, they had acquaintances, but real like friends that they spent time with in two years, all their friends were Christians. You think, yeah, that's the way it should be. Paul's saying, no. Yeah, have a core group of people around you who will help you follow Jesus and don't do the same things you used to do. But don't abandon your friends. Don't abandon your social network. He keeps going. Now, this this other group was a really tough group. Uh, and you can see why they were upset. And, that, and it's a, they were slaves. And in the Roman Empire... One third of the people in Rome were slaves, which means you have no freedom. I mean, how are you going to follow Jesus freely and fully if you have no freedom? You can't go anywhere God wants you to go. You can't do anything God wants you to do. You're stuck. You're a slave. What are you going to do now? Slavery 2000 years ago was different than the kind of slavery we inflicted on people as a culture 150, 250 years ago. Um, but it was still very restrictive and obviously a bad thing. And eventually Christianity, it's a long story, eventually Christianity is going to, as, as it takes over the Roman Empire by influence, it's going to erode Christianity because you can't, you, can't Christi- you can't do Christian principles and have slavery, bottom line. But at this point, slavery is there. And so there are these people who are in the church who were slaves, and they're upset because, like, what are we going to do? And so Paul says, were you a slave when called? Don't let it trouble you. Like what? Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who is a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Meaning, yeah, you may be a slave in Rome, but you're really not. Because you're, Jesus has freed you. And you serve him. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Meaning, don't leave where God has placed you without fulfilling your calling. And he said, even for those of you who are slaves, now he says, hey, if you can gain your freedom, do it. Go for it. But if you can't, don't let it trouble you. That's a hard thing to say if I was, I mean, that'd be a hard thing to hear 2,000 years ago if I was in that situation. But why? Well, he's telling them. Because God has placed you where he's placed you with a purpose. And be God's person where he's placed you and fulfill your purpose. Now, some of you are in some really tough situations right now. Maybe you're in a, you know, you're in a a tough work environment. It doesn't mean you can't find a better work environment or if you're in a toxic environment that you can't. But what Paul would say is, hey, just don't don't focus so much on just trying to get out of a bad situation That's fine if you can do it. But in the meantime, make sure you fulfill God's purpose there, even in a bad situation, 
even in not a perfect work environment or a perfect neighborhood or where just fulfill God's purposes. there. like a friend of mine who number, you know, a few years ago now, now he's cancer free, but he spent he had stage four colon cancer and spent a whole lot of time in chemotherapy waiting rooms. And for him, he just realized, you know what, my life is disrupted, but what if part of this is God wants me to be his person in these chemotherapy waiting rooms? Where there's a whole lot of people who don't have the hope that I have. He's like, you know what? If I die, I'll be with Jesus. But the people that I'm relating to and coming to know, if they die, they won't. And maybe God has placed me here to be light here. To be his person here. To be his minister here. And he would say now that was his most fruitful period of ministry. Even though it's not one that you would choose. And that's what Paul's saying. Is wherever you are, if you want to serve God's purposes fully and freely, well, that's our principle. If you want to serve wherever God leads, start right where he has already placed you. And a lot of times, I think, it's easy to think that it's people like the Apostle Paul, it's people that, you know, are on the platform like me, pastors, or whoever, that those are the people who really serve God, and they're like on the front lines, you know. But where I am, I'm kind of on the sideline. But what, the, what Paul is letting you know is, no, wherever God has placed you, you're on the front lines. Because that's how God reaches people. God reaches people by sending them out into different places as light and otherwise dark places to reach. He loves those people in those environments so much that he places you there. And that's your ministry to be light. In that otherwise dark place. So I want you to think about where God has placed you. Your family. Your neighborhood. Your work environment. Your school. Your fraternity. Your sorority. Your golf club. Your friendship circle. Whatever it is. Think about where God has placed you. And realize you're not just there. You're there with a purpose. And what is that purpose? And how would you live it out? Well, I could do a whole series on that question. Like we're going to do a series next spring on work and God's purpose at work and how to fulfill God's purpose at work and how to be God's redemptive person in the place that he's put you there. And that's a whole thing. And we'll do it. It'll be fun. But I want to focus just on being light in a dark place, which means helping people who don't know Jesus have the opportunity To be introduced to him. And one of the reasons that you and I are where he's placed us is to be light in an otherwise spiritually dark place. But you think, well, then how do I do that? And the good news is we don't have to guess because the New Testament tells us how to do that. Actually spends a lot of time telling us how to do that. And I'm going to summarize it. We're going to look at some biblical passages, but I'm going to summarize it going back to elementary school. You remember elementary school? And remember show and tell? That's the, that's God's strategy is show and tell. Now think about show and tell back in, I don't know if they still do show and tell. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember show and tell as a kid, you know, I don't know, third, fourth grade, whenever that was. And you'd bring in your little stuff. And I remember there was always pressure, right? Cause you wanted to bring in something pretty cool. You didn't want it to be lame. You know, you want it, especially when somebody else brought something really cool. Like I, I heard somebody talking about this, uh, a guy named Clay, uh, in Atlanta, 
And I don't know why I told you his name and where he's from. But anyway, um, and he was talking about show and tell when he was in fourth grade. And and he, he'll never forget this. Right. And you wouldn't either if you were in fourth grade. And so this kid in his class had a he had a very strong show and tell game. All right. And here's what he did. He brought in he had a pet snake. And not just any pet snake. It was I, I think I don't know if it's a boa constrictor or a python or whatever, but it's like like 12 feet long. And it was big, like thick, this big, huge snake. And he brings in this big, huge snake. But it got better than that because he also said, you know, we haven't fed the snake for like two weeks. So the snake is starving, you know, he's looking at all these kids like, yeah, I think I could take that one. You know, but he's he's got, you know, he's, he's starving. And he said, and we're and, and so I'm going to feed the snake. And the kids are like, oh, this is awesome. And there's this box right there. And they know that whatever they're going to feed the snake is in this box. And, and he said, we're going to feed the snake bugs. And the kids are like, cool. We're going to get to watch the snake eat bugs. And then they opened it and pulled it out. Some of you have already guessed. Bugs was the name of the bunny. Bugs bunny. It was a bunny. <laughs> and, and yeah, that happened. Like they watched the snake in fourth grade. I'm not sure why the teacher didn't say, you know, maybe we should think about it. But anyway, they just let it happen. And they watched this snake eat a bunny. Now, you don't forget that, right? You, it, and, uh, and, and, I mean, when you think of show and tell, that kid has is a goat. Greatest of all time. Like this week, we saw Tom Brady play football against the Cowboys. You know, you have to say Tom Brady is a goat, right? This kid is the show and tell Go. Can you imagine being the kid who followed that kid? You know, you got your pencil sharpener or whatever. And you're like, yeah, I, I think I'm OK, teacher. I got COVID. I, I can't do it or whatever. Like you just have to make up some excuse because how do you follow that? That's shown. That guy has a strong show and tell game. Well, that's God's strategy for reaching people. It's it's show and tell. That he, that he places you and me where he places us to. Not just tell people about Jesus, tell people what they need to. It's yeah, we, that's part of it. Tell, but it's not tell and tell. It's show and tell. To live lives that cause people to be curious about what makes you and I tick. To be curious about Jesus. To be curious. To be open to what we have to say. So catch this as Paul talks to people in the Thessalonian church. And now these weren't apostles going around all over the place. He's telling. Most people who, you know, God is placed in different places. So he's talking to people who were, you know, 2000 years ago, they made shoes or they made tents or they were, you know, raised animals or they were farmers. And, and he said, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. Can you imagine if we just did that right now? You know, if we just minded our own business and, you know, didn't have to. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. It just ah, feels better to say that. And to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. He's just saying, you know what? Just be a good worker. And be a good person. Be have integrity. And love people the way Jesus calls us to love people right where he's placed you in your work environment. Do a really good job. Be like the best worker of everybody. So that you'll win the respect of outsiders, meaning those who don't know Jesus, 
that your daily life, your everyday life will win the respect of outsiders. Show and tell. So that people are actually drawn to what makes you tick. Why would you do this for me? Why would you love? Next week, we start a series on a New Testament book, and I've already told you what it is. Anybody remember? Titus. Thank you. On the book of Titus. And in the book of Titus, we're going to see this in chapter two. He tells different groups of people to be light where they are and and to be really good, whether it's workers or relators or family members. And here's the punchline each time. Verse 210. In every way that they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. That's in the workplace. So in the workplace to relate in such a way, live in such a way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Titus 2, 5, to relate in such a way that no one, talking about outsiders, those outside the faith, will malign the word of God. Right now, there's so many people, right, who are writing off Christianity because they have a bad taste in their mouth from Christians, right? And I mean, we're losing, in danger of losing a generation of people because of that. And Paul is saying, don't, no, be, be the kind of people that makes people want more. I think of that like jelly beans, you know, like jelly bean test. Have you ever been eating jelly beans? Like everybody knows that licorice is nasty, right? Everybody agree? Yeah, okay. I mean, I think Jesus, everybody would agree that licorice is nasty. And like it's the nastiest flavor ever. And and if you've ever had this experience, like grape is my favorite jelly bean, but it's dangerous because it looks a lot like licorice. And there are multiple times as a kid, I thought, ooh, grape. And I put it in my mouth and bit into it. And it was nasty licorice. And you don't forget that. You know, it's just like terrible. And and a lot of people feel like with Christians, you say, ooh, they're going to be a good person. And they bite into it. It's licorice. And Paul's saying, no, do the opposite. I mean, they think you're licorice. Be grape. There's another way to say it. Paul should have put that in Titus. I don't know why he did. And then verse 2, 8. He says to relate in such a way that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Meaning even the enemies of Christianity be like, you know what? I got to quit talking bad about these people because they believe some weird stuff. But gosh, they're good people. Man, do they love people? That's what we got to get to. And you know how that happens? Wherever God places us. We just be great. We'd be the kind of people, right, that God's called us to be. So much so, First Peter 3, Peter, talking to Christians in Rome, the most unchristian environment in the world at the time, and he's telling them, hey, as Christians, you know, live differently. In fact, people are going to be surprised that you don't do the old stuff you used to do. You're not going to the temple prostitutes, and you're not drinking too much, and you're not doing all this stuff. And they're going to be surprised by that. But even better, just love people in such a way that this happens. He said, always be prepared. To give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be ready to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. That's the tell. It's not just show. It's show and tell. But it's telling people when they actually care about what you say. Does that make sense? It's not just, let me tell you how you should live. Or let me tell you what the truth is. Let me tell you, you know. When... When we haven't established credibility, when we haven't established the kind of reputation that makes people actually care about what we say, then, you know what, just kind of be quiet. But as you live good lives and as you love in ways that are surprising, it'll happen. 
Like it worked. If you do this at work, if you do this in your neighborhood, if you do this in your school, these conversations are going to happen. Where somebody's going to have a really bad time, a really bad day, a really bad month. And they'll know that you're the kind of person they can come to, and they will. And they'll say, hey, look, I just need to talk through something. Or, hey, look, you know, I'm not really a prayer person, but I kind of need you to pray for me. I remember I had somebody in my life did that call me. I mean, this guy was agnostic, atheist, and he's like, hey, I need you to pray for me. And I'm like, who is this? (laughs) It's like, you know who I am. I need you to pray for me. Right? Or... They'll be open to spiritual conversation, even even, you know, and then when that happens, he says, be ready. Well, how do you be ready? What do you do? Like if it freaks you out, like, wait a minute, I don't know what to do. Well, we should know what to do. We should be ready. And one of the things we can do, I think the best thing you can do when people have a spiritual conversation, ask about your faith or whatever, want you to pray, just tell your story. Because you're the expert of your story. You know, you can have this big philosophical discussion, but people can disagree with that. But if you tell your story, and what, what I mean by your story, now, none of you know Jesus, but you still have a story, right? You're on the journey. But let's say you do know Jesus. You know what your life was like before you knew Jesus. You knew what happened when you came to know Jesus. And you know what God has done in your life since you've known Jesus. And you can tell that story. And to say, and, and, and again, nobody can, it's not offensive to tell your story. You're not telling them what they have to do, right? You're just... Telling your story. You say, man, I'd love for you to know that same relationship with God that I have. If you want to talk more about that, I can talk about that. Because this isn't just a religion. This isn't just a thing to believe. This is a relationship with a God who is alive, who's changing me from the inside out and empowering me to do some really cool things in the world. And that's the most important part of my story. Another thing you can do in being involved in a church like Chase Oaks, whether you're online or in person, is it's a place on purpose where we can invite friends who don't know Jesus yet. We do church in a way that's not just for church people. I mean, it's for church people, but it's also for people who don't go to church. And it's different, which is why we use the songs I mentioned earlier. Why we, it's, it's not just about us. It's about those who have yet to come. Because we believe that's the heart of Jesus and it's his church. I don't think we really have a choice, but it sure seems like people think we have a choice. And we don't. I don't think. Because it's Jesus' church. But you, not every church is like that. And you have an opportunity to just have a church environment where you can say, hey, come and check it out. Just come and see. Because it's come as you are. Bring your doubts. Bring your questions. Bring your hang-ups. It's okay. Just bring them with you. Just be ready. When we're living, great. When we're living lives that are contagious, that that draw people to Jesus, not repel people from Jesus. And that's where God places us, where he placed us. So I want you to think about your calling. Because I think it really is easy to say, God, I'm willing to go anywhere. I'm willing to do anything. I'm just waiting for you to tell me. And God's like, dude, (laughs) you're already there. I've already put you there. Yeah, I may lead you somewhere else. And that's really cool. You want to go and you're open. It's awesome. But understand, I've already placed you there because I really care about the environment that I placed you in. Think of it this way. Uh, Go ahead and turn off the lights. You and I are placed where we've been placed to be light. In a lot of the places we are, in your school, in your work environment, in your neighborhood, maybe even in your family, wherever God has placed you, 
If you and I aren't white, you know what happens? I mean, I mean if, if we leave or we choose not to be light, we don't live a life of purpose where we are, we just sort of keep it hidden, then what happens is, is that environment is totally dark. But God doesn't want the environment to be dark where you are. And that's why he's put light there. That's why he's put you and me there. To light the darkness. And it's your privilege and mine to be God's person. You're like the chaplain of wherever you are, wherever you've been placed. And I want us to think about that just very prayerfully. As we go to God in prayer and prayer is just talking to God in our own words and And so just wherever you are right now, I know it's kind of dark in the legacy room. It's probably dark on your TV screen. I want us to just bow our heads and I I want us to pray. And, And I just want you to talk to God and say, God, if you're willing, if you're up for this, say, God, I want to I want to be your person where you place me. I I really do want to be light. And I want to live in such a way that makes people curious about you open to you and God would you help me realize that where I am even if it's uncomfortable is actually my calling my assignment and for some of you you may need to say God I I need strength right now because I'm just tired there's a tough place to be called God I, I need I need your strength some of you may be say God I haven't been very good light like I'm not living as a believer. I'm just kind of living like everybody else. And God, would you help me live as a believer and to love in ways that are uncommon and sacrificial and to have integrity and to be the kind of person that would draw people to you. God, help me do that better. Some of you, it may be your time to come from the darkness into the light yourself to begin a relationship with God. That's why Jesus came here and to say, God, I I want a relationship with you. I I want your forgiveness. I want you to be in my life. I want to grow. I want to change. I want to know you. Wherever you're at, where God's placed, you realize it's really strategic. You're not on the B team. You're on the A team. Because he loves everybody that he's placed you around so much that he sent his own son into the world to die on the cross for their sins to be raised from the dead and he loves them so much that he also placed you there so father would you help us be light wherever you place us in jesus name amen